0: Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. We are going to be starting up a food ministry service once again, um, but until then, encourage you to... Find someone who you're chatting to, invite them around to your house for lunch or, or bless the city of uh, North Adelaide with our service for lunches after church. But um, for now, we are going to go into God's word. We're going to... ooh, I set my timer and it's going off. Two seconds. Ooh, there we go. Um, so we are going to be reading from Psalms and then Luke. Um, so our first passage today is coming from Psalm 96, 1 through 13. I'm reading from the NIV, which you'll find at the end of your pews. So Psalm 96... 1 through 13. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all of the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. The second reading is today is coming from Luke 16. Nope, Luke 19, 1 through 10. Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zachari- Zacchaeus. Oh my goodness, Zacchaeus. Huh? Zacchaeus. I was totally thinking Zacharias in my head. All right, Zacchaeus, sorry. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times that amount. Jesus said to him, Today has, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost.
1: Amen. Amen. Thanks, Chan. Thanks, Ruth. Give me a moment. Howie? Oh, this is loud. loud. Howie? Great. Good morning, morning, morning. Welcome to City Light North Adelaide. My name is Andrew. Um, lots of faces I don't know. Lots of faces I haven't seen for a while. Great to see you all here. Um, if you don't know, I've been living out in the country for like the last 11 months, so it's great to be back on home turf. Um, I'm back here preaching, Jacko's on holidays. Classic Jacko just leaving me on the hottest day of like, like the year so far, right? So he's doing cool coffees and cool lamies and stuff. Um, if you're new, glad that you are here. Uh, if you're, especially if you're like trying to figure out what faith is or what Christianity is, or who this Jesus guy is, you're in the right spot, man. Um, Encourage you to make some connections here. Really make some connections, and I really hope that you meet God in this community of believers here. Um, We're at this part of the service now um, where we are going to together unpack a passage of Scripture from God's Word this morning. Um, This year, we're starting our sermon series uh, called Seeking God, right? And this is week two. Um, Last week... uh, uh, instead of asking what we want sorry, so with this sermon series, instead of asking what uh, we want this coming year as a church community, we're pondering over what God is really seeking of us. Like, what, is, what does God want from our lives? And last week, uh, Jacko looked at how our, our whole-hearted God expects his people to be whole-hearted in their pursuit of Him and His purposes. And that since he is wholehearted, that we should ask the Lord for an undivided heart ourselves. This week, I want us to look at, uh, what thing we want to look at is that God is a God who seeks the lost. He seeks the lost. And what are the implications of a God that seeks the lost? Well, what are the implications of that for us as his followers at City North Adelaide? Now, I don't know about you. Um, I don't know how you celebrate New Year's. Uh, I was in bed by pretty much 11 p.m. on New Year's Eve, Um, but instead of having a a chipper New Year's with family and friends, we were up in Port Augusta, Um, I actually, instead of watching the TV and the fireworks and stuff, I was reading about this guy. This guy here. Does anyone know who this guy is? No, not really. Well, this guy is Andrew Tate. Specifically, I was reading about him and this drama, this Twitter drama between him and a person called Greta Thunberg. Anyone know that person, Greta Thunberg? Yep, yep. Well, recently, this this is drama that happened with this guy here, Andrew Tate. And it apparently led to him getting arrested in Romania. Now, I didn't do my fact-checking. It's Twitter drama, Who fact-checked? But I have heard of Andrew Tate before, but I personally didn't actually know that much about him. Um, I knew that he wasn't kind of a nice guy, but that's really all I knew about him. It turns out that he's actually a very unsavory kind of character, and for several reasons. He's an ex-kickboxer turned ex-kicked-out Big Brother contestant, and he's now a... Known for really being a misogynistic internet influencer. The Guardian calls him the king of toxic masculinity. In a podcast, Tate claims that he, and claims, and narcissistic, narcissistically, I might add, he makes $600,000 from a quote unquote little webcam business where he claims that he has 75 women working for him. He boasts, My job is to meet up with a girl. Go on a few dates with her, sleep with her, test if she's quality, and get her to fall in love with me to where she'd do anything I'd say and get her on a webcam so that we could be rich together. I won't go further into the details, but there's no wonder, there's little wonder why that he's under arrest with charged with rape and sex trafficking. Now, here I am on New Year's Eve, reading about this Andrew Tate character, and I'm thinking, and I'm I'm in shock. I'm in shock, and I'm thinking to myself, dude, this, pff, this guy is gone. This guy's gone. That guy, there's no coming back for this guy at all, right? There's no coming back from that. But as it's the end of 2022, I was a bit nostalgic. I started to think of some other unsavory characters from the year. If you've been paying attention to the financial markets, you'll probably have heard of, of this guy. Anyone know this guy? No? Don't know anymore? He's known as SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried. He's a 30-year-old cryptocurrency trading wizard who built the second or third largest cryptocurrency exchange, made it to number four, 41 on the Forbes 400, and was in 2021 the world's richest 29-year-old with with a net worth of $22.5 billion. That was more than Mark Zuckerberg at 29. And he touted everywhere. His massive shtick was that he was an effective altruist. And that he would one day give away his, chari- his money all to charity. But two months ago, six, six weeks ago, really, his ki- cryptocurrency exchange blew up, and he's, being fa- he's being acu- not forcing. He's been accused of stealing and defrauding thousands and thousands and thousands of customers of, of something like 10 billion dollars. This is in the courts right now. The evidence is so clear. Yeah, th- this, this guy has the audacity to plead, not guilty just four days ago. The level of greed and cognitive dissonance here is insane. Does it not make your blood boil? But he might not be even the worst villain of 2022. Dare do I even start talking about the plague of Putin? Or is is his name unsavory enough? I'd be thinking, thanks, Tran. Real trip start. where to start Sunday morning, right? But let's just face reality for a moment with this little thought experiment. I'm pretty sure in saying this that most of us would agree that looking at these people for 2022, there's some really, really bad people who have done some egregious things. And if we're honest, at least in our minds, when we think of guys like Andrew Tate, SBF, Vladimir Putin, some of us, if not all of us, have probably written them off. You know, there's no hope for these guys. There's no hope. And it's easy to say that because they are actually absolutely deplorable. But let's think about that for a second. At what point do they become deplorable? At what point is too far? How far gone do you have to be that there's no coming back from it? Will it be you know socially, politically, morally, spiritually? And I ask this because, frankly, we've... You know, if we're honest with ourselves, we've all done some not great things. Where do we draw the line? When is an act so bad there's no coming back from it? When is a person so bad there is no forgiveness? Can you be so completely lost that you can never come back? Our passage in the Bible today tackles this very subject with a man who's not too dissimilar from these men. But in this passage, we not only see just how far and immoral this guy was, but we also see how Jesus deals with him. So I invite you, pray with me this morning, and ask, let's ask God to help us this morning to see what he has for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is given to us so that we may know you and your character. As we look at Jesus this morning, help us to be enamored at Him, at His kindness, His goodness, and His beauty. Father, I pray that You give us attentive ears and soften our hearts to Your Spirit this morning, that we don't just intellectually ascend here, but we leave transformed by encountering You this morning. Lord, pray that You You, you hide me, that anything that I say that is not of You, that You protect us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And everybody said, "Amen." You know, before we crack open today's passage, we're going to keep open Luke, um, Luke 19. Um, something we need to know about Luke's gospel: the gospel according to Luke is an investigative account, based on an investigative account of Jesus, based on the testimony of eyewitnesses, right? Um, and it was originally written to readers so that they would be assured, so that would be assured of what they were taught about the faith. So we know then that when Luke decided to in, include the story of Zacchaeus here, it's not simply just for the sake of seeing Jesus interact with a sinner, but rather Luke is telling us the story because it teaches us something about Jesus. At this point in Luke's narrative of Um, uh, uh, at this point in the narrative of luke's gospel jesus had been conducting his ministry doing miracles showing that he was god teaching people about the kingdom of god and our passage in luke 19 sits pretty much almost right at the end of jesus's ministry before he heads to jerusalem and this is significant friends because jesus previously has repeatedly told his disciples i'm going to jerusalem to die Like so many of the interactions in the gospel, Jesus often draws a crowd wherever he went. Previously, in Luke 18, you see a crowd where Jesus heals a blind beggar. And you know what? The people were amazed. They gave glory to God for it. And then the crowd continues to form in Luke 19 as Jesus starts to walk through the ancient Near Eastern town of Jericho. So let's read verses 1 through 2 together. It says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. This really sets the scene up for us. Imagine this. Jericho was, the, it was an important trade route between Jerusalem and the east, and it was a major toll point and was also the center of quite, a lot of quite a lot of wealth. Now, if you're like me, if you've been a Christian for a while and you remember this story from Sunday school... you. I admit, when I read the story of Zacchaeus, I felt kind of sorry for the guy, you know, because you think, oh, little wee Zacchaeus, he's an outsider. This a little short little man. No one likes him. Oh, poor you. And he always looks sad on his felt boards, you know, like from on Sunday school. <laughs> but the Bible, you know, is actually way more colourful than that. You see, in that in the first century, the Roman the, the Roman Empire had taken over, and as such. They imposed a heavy, heavy tax on the locals. I don't know about you, but when you see your pay slip and you see the tax taken out, then you squirm a little bit. (laughs) But then you think, like, oh, actually, I shouldn't squirm because it's not that bad. I get Medicare and I get roads. I get get good stuff like that, right? But if you're a Jew and you heard about taxes, man, it was the sound of you paying money to an oppressive regime. They were using that money to oppress you. So naturally, tax collectors weren't very popular, you'd imagine. And then you have Zacchaeus here. He's not just a regular tax collector, but he's like the bigwig, the top dog, you know? And on top of that, he was rich, filthy rich. And we knew that later from the passage that he got rich from some questionable taxation practices. So here you have a man who's taking a boatload of money off his own people, to Support an oppressive regime and he's skimming off the top for himself. As a Jew, you did not feel one bit of sorriness for Zacchaeus at all because, quite frankly, sadly, Zacchaeus was in reality a slimy, degenerate scumbag profiteering off his own people. You probably downright hated his guts, and you were, that's fair enough, right? Let's keep reading in verses 3 to 4. He, who he, he, being Zacchaeus, wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now, we don't know too much about Zacchaeus here. It doesn't tell us whether he was a proud or boastful man, or whether he would, heard, he'd, he'd just maybe heard of Jesus, or maybe from a rumor, or maybe he just saw the crowd, he just wanted to see who it was. Regardless... Zacchaeus needed to check out who this person was. Now, in the first century, men in the ancient Near East didn't run. Running was undignified. Running was undignified. But Zacchaeus puts that aside and not only runs, but climbs up a tree to catch a glimpse of this Jesus character. And so the story really sets up the meaning for verses 5 and 6. It says this, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Have you been ever to a show have you been to a show before where they've picked a random audience member out? And you know, you just look down at your phone, just pretending, they hoping they don't see you, they don't sing you out, because that gives me that gives me anxiety, man. I don't, wanna, I don't want to be up on the I don't, wanna, I don't want to be up there like that. But imagine now, not that you were just picked out, but they knew your name. You'd be questioning, like, what, whoa, 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 whoa. How, how did you know my name? How how'd you know my name? What's what's going on here? This is this is probably a setup. Where with the cameras. This is definitely a prank. <laughs> But here we have in this scene, Jesus, like an actor, walking out on stage. He goes to not just some random spot, he goes to, but he walks intentionally to this spot, and he looks up. And doesn't say, hey, you up there. No, he calls him by name. And what does Jesus say? I must, I must stay at your house. Everything that Jesus does here is intentional and is divinely orchestrated, friends. You know, if I didn't know better... Jesus was out to find this guy. And the reason why Zacchaeus was probably so glad was because Jesus knew him. Jesus knew him. Jesus Jesus saw a person, sought him out. Zacchaeus probably had the opposite issue. People probably wanted to avoid him. But no, Jesus was looking, seeking him, and wanted to stay at his place. Jesus might have been just passing through Jericho to go to Jerusalem, but he certainly knew exactly where he needed to stop by. But the crowd had something to say about that. In verse 7 it says this, All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. The people are in shock. In a town where no one probably looked fondly at Zacchaeus, let alone wanted to be associated with the guy... They're all quietly gossiping in disbelief. Does, this, does Jesus know who this Zacchaeus guy is? Why on earth is he going to Zacchaeus' place? This is just so not right. Zacchaeus was so far gone back in the day in this society. Peter first got canceled. But he's getting the attention from no, le- no one less but the man of the hour, the man that, with the crowds. He's getting something he does not deserve. At this point, you'd imagine the crowd were probably starting to be equally critical of, you know Jesus going to the house of Zacchaeus, the house of the social pariah, the, the house of the worst of the worst. But the crowd probably also didn't anticipate the next thing to happen either, and that is, when you encounter Jesus, when you encounter the real Jesus, it has the power to radically change you. It says, let's read verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and, I have, and if I have cheated anyone, anybody, out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. How bonkers is that? How bonkers is that? Z- Zacchaeus then became a totally different man after meeting Jesus. Totally different. It's not clear here that if it was an instantaneous thing or that it just happened or if Zacchaeus' response was after Jesus hung out with with him and had dinner and whatever. But generally speaking, corrupt, money-stealing chief tax collectors don't simply just turn around and say, I'm giving it all away. They just don't do that. But what we see in the text here is that Zacchaeus doesn't give away his possessions in, in order to try to flex to Jesus and earn his relationship with him. He doesn't say, look at me, Jesus, please like me now. Please, 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 please. I'm making myself into a good person because I'm, I'm giving, myself, giving stuff away. No, he doesn't do that. He does this because Jesus reached out to him first to the crowd this looked crazy because of Je- because Jesus reached out to Zacchaeus despite his reputation but to the reader to us we get the benefit of hindsight here it's crazy because Jesus the god made incarnate had come to be with him the perfect sought out the imperfect and that's what made Zacchaeus shout out you know what this money is Money is no longer mine, Lord. You are my master, Jesus. Like, it is no longer mine. Look, Lord, here, I give, I'm going to give it away. When Jesus met Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus saw Jesus for who he truly was. And that had the power to completely transform him. And this is absolutely amazing, if you, when, if you, especially if you consider the chapter beforehand. If you're familiar with chapter 18 of Luke chapter 18, Jesus encounters a rich young ruler. And there's this rich guy. He asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And after a bit of banter, Jesus eventually answers with Luke 18:25. He says this, indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Essentially what that means is what Jesus is essentially saying here is that if money is your God and you want to go to heaven, good luck. Because pretty much money, the love of money is a trap so big that you can't get out of it. It's impossible. Being enslaved to money is more than just, it's it's, it's a pretty hard gig to get out of. It's actually impossible on your own. But here in Luke 19, pretty much the story right next to that is this miraculous story of a rich tax collector, a rich one, submitting his life to the Lord Jesus. Here is a man enslaved and trapped to to the love of money. And yet, upon meeting Jesus, upon encountering the beauty of Jesus, upon seeing the perfection of Jesus, upon experiencing the holiness and the absolute otherness of Jesus, it had the grip had the grip, it could, it could break away the grip of the love of money. Because Jesus saw so like, because Zacchaeus saw that Jesus was so, so much better. It was only then, only then, that Zacchaeus was able to free, freely give away his possessions with such radical generosity because he had, he had something way greater than money. It's no wonder why Jesus says what he does in verse 9 is this, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus' newfound generosity was a sign, you know what? Confirming, It was a sign confirming that his heart had actually done a 180. When Jesus reached out towards him, Zacchaeus' heart of stone was melted into a heart of flesh. And he put his trust in Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And as a result, his heart was turned around from an idol of greed and towards the God of the universe. And this, my friends, is exactly what Jesus had come to do on earth, to find those who were lost, find those deemed too far from God to go be near with them and to save them and turn them back towards God the Father. This was Jesus' primary mission while here on earth. And Luke brings up this story with Zacchaeus before Jesus was to go to Jerusalem. Why? He does it to drive home the message that Jesus was going to fulfill his mission by dying on a cross for them. It's one thing for Jesus to seek the lost. But he doesn't just leave them there once he finds them. But he not. Nah, he goes all the way, friends. He goes all the way. He goes all the way there and dies for them so that they may be saved. And what's more, a spoiler alert here, because we know that Jesus died he, and it was also raised from the dead, we know that he successfully completed that mission. His death paid the wages for our sin, and his resurrection shows that anyone who puts their trust in him will too be raised from the dead. And in fact, if you've been saved, you've already been brought from spiritual death into spiritual life, something you cannot do yourself. And you know what? Jesus is not done yet, because he is still alive today, and he is still seeking the lost to be saved. Now, if you're a Christian here in this room, You know this to be true because that's how you got here, right? We were all lost once before we were found. And this isn't something you just hear about once and we just keep it in the back of our minds as we live life. This is, my friends, a core tenant of our faith. And this reality is absolutely central to who we are as Christ followers. It's central. In light of this passage, I think it's pretty clear that what God is seeking of us as a community at City Life North Island is that we are people who too seek out the lost. As a Christian, it's part of our DNA. We know intrinsically that our part, the, uh, uh, part of our call as disciples of Jesus is to make disciples, make disciples that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples, right? To tell people about the beauty of Jesus and the hope that he has for the world. And if, 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 if Jesus is as life-changing as we believe and say he is, it would want to overflow out in our hands. Or at least, you know, in theory, it should. In theory, it should. Like, think about this. If you're excited and passionate about something, you want to tell people, right? You want to tell people. Like um, Delphine and I are moving back to Adelaide pretty soon, and um, we're getting a puppy, so, oh man, I've only got one pixelated photo on my phone of this, of this dog, and I've been telling my we're going to get this puppy, we're getting this puppy, we're getting this puppy. I'm telling everybody about it. I don't even have it yet. But as we head into 2023, friends, is sharing Jesus something we're primed and ready for? Are we ready for it? If you're, if you're a Christian right now, you're thinking, yeah, and, and this, is a, this is a safe space. I'm not trying to shame anyone here. I just, want, I just want to do a reality check. I'm not taking names. I'm not, taking, I'm not asking you to raise your hands or anything. But I want to ask you for a second. Safe space. Let's just take stock for a second. How did you go last year with seeking the lost like Jesus did? I'm not asking about how many people you brought to faith or how many people you saw come meet Jesus. I'm just asking how, how did you go with you know, sharing about Jesus? Again, I'm not here to shame you. I just want to have a bit of a healthy healthy reality check. I imagine there are some of us here, like we, did, we did lots, <laughs> we did lots, and no matter how much we did, we feel like we didn't do enough. But truth be told, I just want to be real here for a second, let's be honest with ourselves. We're family, right? Most of us probably feel like we should have made a bigger effort and we're a kind of pained that we didn't. Or maybe even some of us were a bit sheepish because we didn't share at all. And I'm guessing this is true because if countrywide church attendance and census data is any indication at all, churches are getting smaller in our secular society. Again, I'm not here to shame you, I'm just, just doing a reality check. I just want to take, let's just take stock of that. Because as Christians, we wanna, as we grow more like Jesus, as we become more like Jesus, we will grow to love people like Jesus. And like Jesus, we want that to overflow into other people encountering him. What I believe that God is seeking from us here at City Light North Adelaide is that we be people that point others to the one who has sought out them and can save them. He wants us to be lovers of the lost. Now, I can feel it already. It's hot. I get it, but I can also feel it in the back of our minds. Some of us feel like there are many, many, many hurdles to sharing Jesus. That's true. There are hurdles. I'd love to address a whole bunch of them, but I don't have time. And I think I'll pass out because it's so hot right now. (laughs) We don't have time for today, but I encourage you talk to myself afterwards, or um, one of the elders here, or in your DGS. Side note as well, if you're looking for a tool to help you with evangelism, um, a lot of you are fairly fresh here, I think. Uh, but a couple of years ago, as a church, we looked at this book here. Uh, Sam Chams' How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy. Like, highly recommend the book. Reread it if you have it. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. Great book. But the hurdle I really want to address today that comes most out of this passage when applying to our lives is, you know, I've shared the gospel, but I don't think my friend will respond to it. I don't think they have responded. I don't think they will respond. They're not responding. And you're not the only one wrestling with this dilemma. Most Christians have probably dealt with this or this kind of, uh, this question or variations of this question in their faith, in, in in their faith life. You know, in our secular and highly affluent culture where you can be whatever you want to be, do whatever you want to do, where absolute personal autonomy is the highest form of self-expression and self-actualization, you know, I I hear you. It comes up as, you know, my friend says they don't think they need Jesus. Christianity is a crutch. Yeah, but I have pretty much everything I want. I don't really need Jesus, bro. Like, I'm good enough. I'm Gucci fam. Like, yeah, no, no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. The reality of the Bible paints, though, is that even though we're... But the reality of the Bible paints is that even though we're witnessing uh, um, to people that may or may not have been cancelled, like Andrew Tate, the Bible is pretty clear that that's the wrong standard to look at. Whether we realise it or not, all of us on this planet, whether your name is Andrew Tate or Andrew Tran, when compared to the holy God of the universe... We are all equally as lost, friends. We're all, before a holy God, we are all equally lost. God's word tells us that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. The gospel is the great leveler because, in the eyes, we're just as lost as the villains of 2022. Humanity is lost, everyone is lost. It's just whether or not we realize it. But as much as this sounds like bad news, there is actually some really, really good news. And that is Jesus came to save this, seek and save, not the already found, but the lost. And if, Jesus, if Zacchaeus, a slimy, degenerate scumbag, could be saved by simply meeting the real Jesus, anyone, anyone can be saved. There is no one too far from the hand of God. Yes, even the rich people in the burbs of Australia. Australians who are plenty rich by worldly standards. Many Australians will say they don't need God. They really have all they need. That, that superficially maybe be true. But you know what? Take heart, friends, because as much as the love of money is a trap for the soul, it cannot stop Jesus from seeking out and saving Zacchaeus. It is not impossible, and it is not impossible for your friend. Of so friends here, we can walk out today with great confidence knowing that when people truly meet Jesus, Jesus has the power to change everything when they come into a, come and truly experience the beauty of Jesus, not simply what he can do for them, but who he is. Jesus can save them. I implore you, keep sharing with your friends and family because he is truly worth it. Keep earnestly praying for your unbelieving family members. Keep being open with your hearts, with your friends, and being open with your faith, because it will, overflow into, um, it will overflow into your friendships. Your relationship with God will overflow into your friendships. You know, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Now, before we end, I just want to have a quick word to those of us who, you know, we've been... We've been sharing Jesus for a while, and we're just persistent. We're just hanging in there. And you know what? It's, it's been a struggle. It's been a, it's been a mighty struggle. And sometimes, you know what? I just want to throw this evangelism thing. Into, I just want to throw the towel in. It's, it's, it's too hard. And, you know, and, I, and I hear you when, when we say that we feel hopeless because our friend or loved one is, hasn't accepted Jesus. or they, they don't want to listen to it. But you know what, your hopelessness, that your feeling of hopelessness is probably a sign that you actually take the gravity of this where it's actually, where it's at. and That's actually really good. And I want to encourage you that, friends, that, that your feeling is not actually hopelessness. You know what true hopelessness is? True hopelessness is if Jesus was not able to save us at all. That's hopelessness. Hopelessness, true hopelessness is when we have no one to intervene for us. And we're stuffed. But the good news, friends, is that we do have a hope in Jesus and he can absolutely save anyone. And if this is you, God sees you. God knows your pain. God is not callous or cold. He knows your pain because he feels it too. He feels it probably more than you do because he intimately knows everyone because he made them. Now, I might not have answered why your friend or loved one has not accepted Jesus yet, but I do know the one who's in control of all things, and I implore you, let's trust him together. When we experience this kind of grief, we must anchor ourselves in the eternal anchor. We must anchor ourselves in the goodness of God. And we know that God is good because he didn't, he didn't have to send Jesus, but he sent him Anyway. There is no God like our God, friends. So take heart because God is, God can save and he is absolutely mighty to do so. So friends, let's leave this place today filled with confidence and know that when people truly meet Jesus and see him for what he really is, for who he really is, people really do get saved. There truly is hope because Jesus has succeeded in seeking out the lost and he's still doing it today. Let's ask God together to strengthen and embolden our faith so that more people may be reconciled to him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for coming down and drawing near to us. I thank you for pulling us your children out of the muck and the mire, and you put us on solid ground. I pray, Jesus, that you help us to never lose sight of your work, your death, and your resurrection. I pray that you help us to never lose sight of your beauty and your glory, of you. Spirit, I pray that you inflame our hearts for you, that it would overflow into us seeking the lost. May you be central to our life, Pray that others might know the everlasting joy that is your presence and help us to keep our resolve as people push back on you. Help us to be obedient because it is for the joy of others and ultimately for your glory that we share of you. Pray, Spirit, that you embolden us, empower us, help us to lean on your power knowing that it is you who do the work of regeneration and we are just merely the conduit Father, use us. Father, we admit that we are tired and weary and some of us are disheartened, but Lord, comfort us. But also renew us in your gospel because you're worth it. God, we plead with you that you would seek and save the lost through us because you said you would. Lord, you said that you will build your church and the the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Help us to live out, live that out with confidence. We love you. We pray this in your majestic and beautiful name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church northadelaide.